going to do that annoying shit that podcasters always inevitably eventually do. Um, <laughs> I'm going to plug my shit. So Kurt, as well as several of our, a number of our guests, have all been members or graduates of my Magical Fortitude course, uh, where we work with ancestors and spirits of land and place, because there, there really isn't any better protection or sense of coherence than when the spirits you stand on and the spirits you eat um, know that you appreciate them and you're in the right relation with both them, as well as healing your own blood ancestors and um, even ancestors of practice and even some weirder stuff that we'll save for the course. But if you're interested at all, um, shoot me an email at reverendjanglebones at gmail.com and the course is starting up again. So if you're interested, shoot me an email. I'll send you everything that I have um, for you to peruse and decide if you're interested and get back to me. Um, in the meantime, I would like to ask that if you appreciate what Kurt and I do here, go check out the show notes and find the link there that leads to our RSS webpage. And there's a donate button there. Um, if you leave 50 cents or you leave $50 or if you leave $50,000, it's going to help enormously, no matter what the amount is. Um, and that's it. I'm done doing the annoying shit that podcasters always inevitably do. So, without further ado, it's the awesome episode with Matt Stansbury. Welcome to Soapbox. Today we are graced with the presence of author, poet, and artist Matt Stansbury, um, who uh, chose the movie Beastmaster, which as far as I can tell is just a series of um, documented footage from his 20s. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Thanks so, for having me. Yeah, no, it's it's great to uh, great to have you. Great to finally talk to you face to face. We we just chatted for like a while, so we're kind of popping in in the middle of a conversation here. But um, what uh, we like we like to do things really casual and make it not feel like we're being recorded at all. So um, now that I made the introduction, I'm gonna try and slide back into that. Um, yes. So this movie was amazing. I had never seen it before, and Kurt, I think, almost didn't actually believe me. <laughs> I think this movie is playing somewhere, sometime, at all times. I think it is, like, it is, like, infinitely looped into the universe somehow, some way. I, 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 I think I've seen it, night. like, yeah, I've seen it, like, nine billion times. Um, I, I don't want to... I think I think Kurt and I might have had the same experience, but I think Kurt and I are closer to the same age. How old are you, Rev? I'm oh shit. How old am I? I gotta work this out because I got it wrong the other day. I think I'm turning 38 in two weeks. Yeah, so you know you you're you're not like dramatically off, but I think there's a big change. Like you know, as Kurt was saying, this thing, regardless of time of day or channel, like some how it was on TNT or USA or HBO. <laughs> yeah, Any- like 
I think I passed this for Tremors. I think that's what happened is I just like skipped past this and went to Tremors. I have probably seen that one an equal amount of time. <laughs> <laughs> they both. I I also before we get to uh, like I I love that we we've we uh we uh covered Conan and now we're covering it's like Trailer Park cousin. It's just <laughs> Beastmaster. <laughs> it absolutely is. <laughs> is the trailer in fact when when I was looking through past episodes for like a framework on how y'all approach things I was like oh Conan perfect this is that's where Beastmaster basically came from I was like oh yeah this is gonna work this is exactly uh, I didn't realize that that there's there's so much inspiration there I mean it makes sense I just is that like a, a traceable thing or is that just intuition well no it's pretty fascinating so like the apparently the the, the director of Beastmaster it's like a it's a adaptation of some 1950s like sci-fi book but all yeah, the, shit, shit. yeah it's a book which is insane <laughs> <laughs> like, but, and, and and that's that's a fascinating thing too you would be shocked at how much shit were actually books before they're turning into <laughs> yeah and this book is like has nothing to do with anything in the movie like it's <laughs> director the only thing they got is like animal telekinesis and pals like that's all he's got <laughs> And everything else is just lifted from Conan. So this director apparently got offered to direct Conan, looked at the script and was like, nah, this bites. And then picked up <laughs> and they just transported like swords and sorcery onto this. Oh and my called God. Okay. That's amazing. <laughs> I was wondering why it was so like, I was like, okay, it's going to be like a normal movie, but there's animals. And that's like the highest like <clears throat> superpower you can have. And then I'm like, no, okay, there's cult members. Okay, this is this is odd. You would expect him to be a sorcerer if they're, but no, it's still just animals. This is fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, like the stupid, not stupid, I guess it's stupid. Yes, yeah, this book or this movie is like reverberated throughout my life for all sorts of dumb reasons and ways that I don't even understand, but you know, it, there it is. It's, we're all made up of these kind of weird parts to try to, you know, that have kind of locked brains. So. That's beautiful it's, though, especially when it's something that, <clears throat> that like is considered cheesy or dated or whatever. When, when those things are the ones that really like worm their way into your heart, it, there's no mistaking that it's real. You're like, like okay, well, I'm. I feel a little funny about this, but it still has me. Um, yeah, <clears throat> something truly special about that, I think. And and the fact that you ended up doing like what you do is, I mean, it just it just works so well. <laughs> it's, it's good really, writing. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the beast bastard. So it was. Yeah, just like a formative, like my view of, you know life was shaped by it like the idea that you were you know running around with your animal pals and they helped you do weird things yeah it was the 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 script it couldn't have helped my like general like life to have the idea like you know reinforced over and over again that like your father is a dirtbag working for the corporate machine and you were destined to kill him so he's gonna try to kill you first like like psychologically i don't think we needed that in my you know <laughs> level to kind of keep getting that reinforced every second. <laughs> like but here we are. 
so, so who was who was Rip Torn in your life? Like then? He's, he's not Rip Torn, and like he doesn't have like weird hot mangled witches like trying to kidnap me, or you know. But none of that happened. But like it was reinforced, and you know, like that weird distrust, and uh, you know, like Dad's the bad guy. Dad is you know the you know the big bad evil guy you know that's been the you know reinforced in people's heads or my head at least kind of growing up and uh you were destined to kill him and your animal pals are your assets to do so and you know it's it's like if if Le Guin wrote the Oedipal complex yes It definitely like Le Guin wrote it like about the same time as the first Earthsea book and she was doing it to like cash in like <laughs> to make <money. laughs> yeah, here's Dar and here's Coco and Podo Coco yeah like the the ferrets oh god ferrets I I'm I'm such a sucker I every time they were on screen I was like oh my god they're so cute like I couldn't fucking help it that's that's well, funny because you basically had the experience of every 14 year old 12 year old who first saw his fucking movie yeah. is like you immediately wanted to go and get two ferrets and then you <laughs> encounter their smell and it's like mm, i don't know about this not gonna happen my household. <laughs> and now i'm the evil dad trying to keep my kid to keep rodents out of my house that's <laughs> the possibility uh but. yeah ferrets are so adorable but they smell awful and it just permeates everything. Like, I, yeah. huh? Yeah. My friend had ferrets. I never really noticed the smell, but you know, I was like 15, so it was probably like all I could smell was my own weird musk. <laughs> you get like litter box train them and stuff like that. There's some, you know, there's some option ferrets to kind of get interesting, but you know. Man, you can litter box rats. I'm right? sure. I fucking um, love like I, I have this huge huge love for for rats no kidding <laughs> yeah oh, my, my first well not my first band but like my band was called fancy rat and then yeah. like after that it was brazos the rat because brazos is what my dad was going to name me and my mom said no <laughs> that is a wild name, lame mom lame right what the fuck <laughs> 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 oh, man, that's a beast master name you would have belonged on, in this world yeah 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 so, so rev you thought it for the first time as an adult you know what, what was your read on it what was your yeah okay so it was a really interesting it it's always really interesting doing this podcast is really fun because i end up watching shit that i can experience simultaneously as an adult and a child and yeah. And I had that experience with this. And what's really odd with me is that it's the reverse of what you would think. The child in me was criticizing it and being like, oh, this is fucking generic. Like, give me some Star Wars. Give me something cool with a bigger budget and like better effects. And and the adult in me was like, this is a beautiful piece of art. Like, this is a time capsule. And it's like, it's got heart and a lot of the engagement for me was like, look at all these, these long shots of rolling scenery. Like they just, they took their time 
with like letting you feel the landscape and the atmosphere and the place of it. And that's my number one complaint with, with film these days is, is they don't do the Werner Herzog, like here's 15 minutes of a bush blowing in the wind. Um, Cause that's what, that's what you actually need. That's what you actually need to feel the impact of when something happens after that is yeah. like the, the realism in that sense, the realism of the boredom beforehand or the, the just the immersion in the beauty beforehand, um, whichever, whichever strikes you. But then like when the thing happens, it's in relation to that. Um, but if like every scene is just action, you're fucking drowning, you're lost and, and nothing has any, any importance uh, placed on it, which is essentially, I just described everything on Disney plus. <laughs> I remember I, I complained to a friend of mine who is like a filmmaker who, uh, who did lower kind of smaller budget stuff. And I was like, what did we just watch? We watched some lower budget movie. And I'm like, why is every like because there was this trend. I was like, why is everything just fucking close ups and headshots? And he's like, well, it's cheap. Like, like yeah. doing like big vistas, like I think you, you, a you require the ability to step back and see an entire space. And you gotta, have uh, that, right? You gotta know. Yeah. yeah, and and it's also funny because like this movie was, I'm sure at the time, like dirt cheap to it make, was. and yet like this would not be a cheap production nowadays. Like we, we built a ziggurat and we have a whole town of mud huts <laughs> and like uh we we built this whole stilt thing that was gonna burn down, <laughs> fuck it. Um like <laughs> um I, I I was uh it was actually hilarious in that that stilt town at the beginning of the movie, like because he descends on this rope and you see it shaking like like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was this was probably dangerous for them to film on too um <clears throat> but then it, it has a, it also all these other weird like that that barbarian horde like all of those guys are clearly references to humongous from mad max <laughs> like to they're to like they're it's like metal hockey masks it's like yeah okay i see what you're yeah. doing huh. Um, but I still I love that fucking the main the main guy with the like bat wing helmet <laughs> like I still love that oh, <laughs> which you can which now I can see like he like in some of the shots like it just trembles because it's probably just leather or something that's sure. <laughs> or paper I don't know cardboard What's <laughs> it's cardboard yeah probably painted so like you know who knows it's uh. I, the 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 lack of quality on it doesn't yeah it doesn't diminish it for me I think it would probably help I think um, it added to it yeah it yeah. did it there was so much charm and the commitment <laughs> <laughs> the seed uh, the 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 bat creatures that like and then like yeah. suck. Yeah, like that thing is going to be forever burned in my brain. Like, you know, that. Uh, I, I did like the idea of, you know, you calling in help to make yourself not prey. You know, the, the idea of showing yourself as I am not prey. Like, you know, finding ways to do that is super useful. Uh, I also like, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. That's, um, I mean, isn't that like the number one rule if you encounter a predator that can kill you? It's just don't act like prey. Like, uh, yes, yes, like we are both beings and I am not prey for you. Like that is a very cool, like lesson to see, I think, I feel like. Yeah, that's- Is that, that's, um, what is that in the, uh, like in the Amazon where they, they lock eyes with the pumas? Yeah, you leave the masks on the back of the head kind of thing. So you're not, you know, for, for oh. the East, you know, you've got a lot of those kinds of, uh, the 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 idea of that kind of eye contact or the ability to like have that i'm a person yeah it changes you know it changes the dynamic in a way i guess that because you know when you're stalking something that doesn't see you it doesn't necessarily um or, or, it doesn't see you seeing it like if you're being you know when you're being stalked that's not a good place to be <laughs> Mm-hmm. it's like if the dog is cowering in the corner you might yell at it just because but like if the dog is dealing you blackjack you're probably just gonna throw in like <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah and then the whole idea of embedding uh, embedding this like relation or showing this relationship in a way that's very over the top and silly, but it also, I, I think it's also kind of exciting or it's, it's, it's childish, but it's also useful to think with that idea is that you have helpers, you have these kind of creatures with you and, and that, that you can find allies and people to kind of talk with and work, you know, work with and spend, you know, spend time with, make friendships with. And it's, uh the concept of pets gets a little sticky for me you know i don't like the you know pets are weird to me but uh i do i did like take a lot out of it for me with about what are when i was a kid you know that you sh- you have animals that you are in contact with that are friendly to you and want you to flourish in some way and you know the that you're interactions you meet you know when you meet with those folks that you're uh you recognize each other as being you know friends and allies in some way i i I've, i found that super formative as a kid stuck with me so it's like that's that it was a useful movie for me and also that weird 80s macho man kind of idea still still well, play uh, oh that's so great though because it was like it was the macho man in his body and his choices and his actions. He was a hero through and through. Um, But he was also crying when he was rejected and when they told him to leave. And like that really hit me just like how, um, like I want to say innocent, but that's not the whole thing. That's like innocent, but also earnest and impervious to criticism. Um, like he didn't, he didn't change how he felt or anything. It was just like, I've been rejected. I'm gonna mourn this and then I'm gonna go on with what I have to do. Um, which was like a really emotionally responsible way of dealing with that. Um, 
And that was, that was really impressive to me that like, that's something I've, I feel like I notice a lot with, with lower budget, lesser appreciated movies is that there's always this really clear, um, like heart to it that, um, that you can always feel like someone, someone really cared, someone really fucking cared. And otherwise, like the whole thing probably wouldn't have ever gotten finished. You know what I mean? Like you'd probably stop halfway through and like be like, oh, I don't know if this is good enough or something like that. But but if they if they like believe in it, then they're like, we don't care if this feels like Conan. Like it's we're making a fucking point and it needs to be made. Yeah. Yeah. What, and that's that's also interesting because that's that's how animals will deal with trauma. They do deal with it immediately, right? They tremble or shake or like they don't mm-hmm. hold on to it and stew over it. Uh, you were saying, sorry, Matt. No, I, 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 I guess you know the 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 thing I'd want to. The thing I would wonder about is, you know, that we come from this background, I think, of being told these like animal stories. Animals are our friends. Animals are what we grew up with. Like surrounded by stuffed animals, surrounded by these like eyes. Uh, anthropomorph- anthropomorphized versions of, of uh, other beings and I think that's useful as a kid to have that in your head and but then you're kind of taught to lose that relationality to lose that uh, connection and it's uh, because it's fantasy because it's uh you know, like the, the, the biologist's sin is anthropomorphification is the, you know, the sin of the biologist, right, to, the, to apply kind of human uh, agendas and human uh, reactions and responses to, you know, non-human uh, creatures. But I think that uh, there's a mistake in that, like to say that, um, to say that there are, uh, motives and emotions and thoughts like there's all kinds of kind of un unexamined truths that say that a lot of animals have definitely a form of consciousness that is complex and reflexive and this they have a sense of self right i mean you know you get like to say that it shouldn't be kind of explored and considered in that realm because they're not human. It's not that they, you know, I think that the, as somebody who came up through like a natural history background and biological sciences was where I kind of wanted to spend my brain you know, in a very, it, it, you kind of get that drummed out of you. And I think that there was a, there's a big, a lot got lost there because, you know, the, the mistake was, yes, they don't have, human cultural you know motives and drivers but they still have motives and drivers you can recognize like they still want to eat they still want to fuck they still want to get the hell out of the rain you know that's that's not anthropomorphizing to suggest that you understand that it wants that <laughs> like right you know, it's, you know it's uh so for for me that was like a you know formative and then you kind of lose it and i've been slowly trying to get myself back there to kind of be able to like explore that possibility and that's where i spend most of my time i guess you know talking to knocking observing spending time with 
shit outside. So, uh, and, and I'm with you, Rev, like the word nature is something that's like glommed onto me as a thing that I use to describe everything. But, uh, I also definitely understand the, the idea that, you know, nature is not real or, you know, things like that. I definitely, it's one of those things that was useful as a way to point things I was interested in. And then uh, you kind of have to be able to step back and, and, and say, you know, yes, we are connected. Human is nature. They're the same thing. And, uh, but you still need some of that language, some of those guideposts to help people kind of understand what it is that you're talking about. Language is tricky, I guess. That's the... <laughs> It sure is. Thankfully, I don't think anyone that listens to this show doesn't believe in magic. Or if they do, they're like some old friend who only listens out of morbid curiosity or something. But uh, I think what you were saying about how we tend to... (laughs) Right, the ultimate sin of a biologist is to anthropomorphize or to project humanity. What if that's all wrong? What if, what if the animals have emotions that are very similar to us already? So we're not humanizing or anthropomorphizing. Or anthropomorphizing. What if what we're doing is actually just recognizing that we all are more similar? than the assumption. Is that kind of where you're at? Yeah, that there's, once you give something agency, it doesn't have, uh, you know, I, I don't think that matters non-human. Agency is pretty understandable. Uh, get rid of that. You know, and I, I think that that is kind of the, the, the threshold is whether or not you, can you recognize agency? Like, can you recognize agency in the starfish? And is that agency at a population layer, maybe not even at like an individual layer or, you know, cause you see all these really fascinating, complex, very uh, structurally interesting organisms that don't even have like the kind of nervous system to produce the kinds of emotions or concepts but maybe it's not embedded in each like node yeah like my pinky finger doesn't have a whole lot of concept of you know emotion necessarily but uh, you know that that i do so like you know it's it's uh, a question of you asked your pinky finger i mean my, i haven't it, that's from there <laughs> well it's like man i don't know it's like we're, we're here manifesting in the world as human beings, which means we have a brain as an interface that sort of limits our perception of the spirit and increases our perception of the material. <clears throat> it, it, it's this way of us being in the world, being able to like know when our hands touch a thing or whatever and keeps us from just drifting off this consciousness to wherever we think of, right? Like we're anchored. Um, But when you have like a being that has less brain stuff going on, 
it's almost it's almost like it it has less like that core being has less need to be fully incarnate in the world and it just wants to have a few tentacles in doing a thing like i just want to be here doing this thing you humans you are the souls who decided you needed the full experience of coming here and believing that this is all you are and and then like having the revelation of realizing that you're much more than that and god it's all just very dramatic but me i'm just i just want to come as a fucking ficus and i just want to grow and die and provide shade for you and like i kind of i kind of see it like that like <clears throat> what does the actual soul who's manifesting need and i think that us humans are the needy ones like we need this dramatic complex experience to teach us and to give us texture and and data to 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 analyze and and how to bounce off of all these things as super complex beings but i think that the simple ones are the ones that are more highly evolved the, the simple ones are the ones that don't need like all the struggle and the triumph and all those fucking lessons and all the stuff that us needy ass humans came here for i don't know if that's resonating but and that's funny because that would put like uh what is it like muscles like that you would eat like m-u-s-s you put yeah. them at the top of the it's like your final incarnation before you turn into buddha is you <laughs> you jump into a muscle <laughs> <laughs> i just want to hang out and get eaten <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool and weird man like they're so radical and weird like i'm in the southeast so we've got just this huge diversity of freshwater mussels here and like their connection with the fish species is so insane. Like so much of what mussels do is they have mimicry. Like that's a big part of uh, what I feel like is a lot of spirit communication is mimicry and also mirroring like the idea that the, so the mussels uh, mimic uh, fish. They mimic like a struggling bait fish. They have this whole mantle, not, not all, but big number of them and even ones that don't necessarily look exactly like a fish when they spawn you know so they'll put out their tiny little part of themselves and a lot of it you, you see if they look exactly like a bait fish right so you've got some hmm. and they all have a host species and they are parasitic in how they uh spawn so that they'll attract the fish to it and then jizz in its face and <laughs> They embed their like cysts, their their young, into their gills and face, and and they drop off. They don't kill the fish, but they huh. feed them. And, That's exactly uh, how I do it. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, hey, <laughs> here you go. All right, now go chill. Yeah, but it's like literally, like think about like like their entire like sex is based on like cross species banging. Like it's crazy. <laughs> food like you're you're luring somebody into like your sexual encounter with food and it's just in mimicry it's like super beautiful to me like i i just can't get over that they're the ultimate pua bros they're just like they're not even their own kind they're just like hey baby and then they just jizz in their face and they're like you're free go back about hey i smell you later <laughs> the child i'm good there. yeah yeah you're good too right great get the fuck out (laughs) that's exactly the kind of like interspecial information exchange ecstasy that i feel like mushrooms can teach you like there's there's some kind of uh 
you you drop that sense of humanity and there just becomes like a like oh i can just communicate by action and there's like a like you're saying with mimicry if if you're encountering a spirit and they do a thing and you do a thing like the thing they're going to recognize it like even if you don't know who they are or how to communicate with them or what the fuck they want if you just like kind of mock them they're like oh and they notice and that's there's like some universalities to um, communication without language that I think I'm sure has been, you know, seriously researched and, and analyzed, but I doubt it has been done so by like true practicing animists. And I think that would be an incredible thing um, to look into. It's like, like how, how do people that, that recognize like this is also a being, it's not, it's not simpler than me. Right, like it, it might behave in a simpler manner, but it's just different, and it's probably more complex in other ways. And and someone with that kind of mindset studying those sort of interactions, that would be something really cool to see. And it's it's like endlessly fascinating. I think that's my that's my number one thing. I'm kind of excited about or spend time on, for better or worse, is kind of looking at those different looking at different consciousness and patterns and seeing how they, how they interact, what are they like doing? What do their patterns look like? And why is, why do they look like that? You know, it's super exciting to me. I hope that when, when you're doing this, you are completely relinquishing any concept of who people think you are and just recording like what it is, because I feel like this is the kind of thing that someone might find in a buried chest in 500 years and be like, now I better understand that empire that was crashing. It wasn't all evil. There were some people that held the fort down and were trying to, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Like, it, it just seems really important that you're even thinking of these things in these times. It, um, it, I, it feels nihilistic to kind of feel like everything's going in a direction that we can't really change. But I guess that's like a, as somebody who's been involved in um, conservation pretty seriously, like at, like at like the state agency level, like involved in like kind of conservation and looked at like the, practices and the things that kind of grew up as somebody who came up kind of in the hook and bullet kind of landscape, you know, was, you know uh, to see that it changed how I view things is less from like, I'm here as some sort of helper savior to I'm here to hang out and kind of connect and have a relationship. And, you know, if, if I can help, I will, but there's a, I guess there's a risk in kind of putting yourself in that role where you're just this savior, this kind of flailing and not communicating as well. Uh, that kind of, you know, so that's, um, at some point, I really feel like there's going to be a, I'm trying to convert basically the entire wildlife biology field into a bunch of animists without them knowing it and understanding, you know, differently how different species are challenged and you know all but also ways to kind of enjoy that kind of 
presence together that's not so tied to this, you know, the, the idea that you have to stop the tide of the machine to kind of have a relationship and enjoy these things. And, mm. you know, because it's, you, 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 we are very small, like to stopping the tide of the machine, it's going to stop in a way that doesn't, it's not changed by how many, you know, uh, diet Coke cans you put in the recycling bin. Like there's, you know, that's not going to impact things. And I guess that was the other thing that kind of drove me to a smaller and smaller footprint of where I tried to spend my time. Like I used to travel a lot or even just locally travel different places to fish or to hike or to take pictures of bugs and shit. But you kind of, kind of to get like a, depth you needed to zoom in and i felt like that was pretty important anyway now, now we're going off topic though we're way off topic. there is no topic there's no no there's no off topic um no i'm actually really curious because the, the movie is an excuse to go on to other topics topics so. yeah um you were mentioning like you you studied natural sciences and then and they they really try to drum out that so did you have a point where you were like accepting of that and then you had something that changed it? That is a good question. So uh, I would say that there was a, a person who did a blurb on my book, Lisa Cordier, who has a really cool book that came out you know, a long time ago, but it was called The Hopes of Snakes. And uh, hmm. that, that was kind of where it started changing. It was a fairly interesting uh, natural history book but just basically talking about the agency of animals and that that was one of the places that kind of started me thinking about those kinds of things but also it just um it would also be like just kind of some of the failures i feel like and structural or like trust failures in the conservation movement wildlife biology and conservation movement that were just hard to accept without uh, coming to a different conclusion, about, you know, because otherwise you just fall into despair, you know. And mm-hmm. um, there's, I, I will say, like a big pivot, I think, for me in the last. <laughs> there's a woman, Freddie Johnson, and she's uh, an activist, and she put out a book called "Radical Joy for Hard Time," and it's uh, really about going in and. Uh, you know, making relationships and celebrating, making gifts to the landscape and uh, gifts of art and attention and time and, uh, you know, like art within in the landscape as a method of kind of making offerings and like her, her stuff really influenced me. That was one of the, one of the shifts, mm. I guess, and how I've been thinking about things. The hope of snakes. What is the hope of that's what what is one of the hopes of snakes? I guess I can find a mile a mouse to eat. Like hope that you don't uh you know you don't get eaten. Hope that you know, hope that you find a nest of birds where they're not too (laughs) fast to get away, you know. There's there's a lot of hopes, I'm sure. Uh, And you hope your mate didn't go and eat all those uh, uh you know water thrush eggs before you got a chance to go eat them you know, <laughs> Interesting I don't know. how those hopes um are all holy right but they they might conflict with the hopes of other beings even yes. though those are also holy 
Yes, yes, absolutely. I love that. That that you know those 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 hopes are holy. I like that terminology. It's the the person you were mentioning and them. Uh, what was her name again? Talking about the oh, Trev. She is she is definitely just amazingly out there and super useful to anybody kind of about uh in, in my opinion kind of land relations her stuff has just been so what was good. the name again you cut out for that trebby johnson trebby johnson because what and, you're talking about reminds me of the guy andy goldsworthy oh god huge influences like i i don't own any of those super beautiful expensive books but like his artwork is yeah, yeah. definitely on there for me as far as big influence and uh Yes, and I think that's like the form. All that is making. It's a little bit of that, you know, as below, as below idea of, of you're making a gift to the landscape from the landscape itself, reflecting um, something deeper than what's just there. And um, you know, it's it's small stuff like the mandalas that you might make out of fallen leaves and beetle. Uh, wing cases and mm. you know half chewed nuts and uh really gorgeous fungi and flowers and you make that into some kind of being that has its own you know life at that point there's all sorts of or interpretation there may have you know you may even be making a image of something that's there is talking to you uh, yeah there and you know it's super useful i think to be open to that as you're out there in the world. God, I love that. <clears throat> I love everything about that. Sorry, Craig, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I would at this at this point in my life, I, I would say that 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 is directly it, it is it is the landscape talking through you, and not just you having some sort of like fanciful. I'm an artist. I'm on. I'm on. Do my art. No, I. I think, <laughs> I think it's. Uh, it is yeah. a minor. It's. Not quite a possession, but it, it's you. No, yeah, like that. Yeah, like Neil, it, it, Neil Gaiman is wrong. It's not, <laughs> it's not your idea. Um, it, it is you, 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 and the landscape together making a thing that it possibly wanted. Yes, co-creation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, like the name of the game. And yeah, that's and that's what the movie kind of. I think gets to it makes it kind of a silly, clumsy version of that. You know, the the idea of you know co-creation and doing uh, you know working with other beings in the landscape. It's it's clumsy, but it's not uh, directionally broken. You know, it's practically broken. It's not showing you the <laughs> how it might work, but. Um, yeah, but conceptually, it's very solid. <clears throat> um, I really, I really love it's it's yeah. that feeling of like like I have my eyes, I have my cunning, I have my strength, yes. and and 
when he says that, like how many times do you hear a, a hero say something like that? When what they're referring to are three beings that are entirely separate from this, well, four in this case, but that are that they're beings that aren't themselves. He's he's referring to allies. He's like, I have my eyes, and it is yeah. and it is a creature that has chosen to be his friend. And yeah. like like all of his powers are they're not borrowed, they're not stolen, they're not earned. Like, I mean, they're they're partially earned, <laughs> but they're but it's it's through relationship. It's it's a constant and flowing thing that could potentially break down at any time if he didn't uphold his end of the bargain. Like that's the feeling I got watching it. Even though yeah. they're clumsy, I still get the feeling that if, if he started being an asshole, he wouldn't have any power. These animals yeah. would not fucking be his friend anymore. Yeah, absolutely. I think and that's important. Your your relationship with the living world absolutely is very easy to Uh, very easy to sense where you're at with things. <laughs> it's very easy to sense where you're at with the living world, which is great. It makes it easy for big dummies like me. Hmm. You know, not have to not have to guess. You can make mistakes, like, and I constantly do. But you just you're aware of them. You are made aware of your mistakes very quickly. One um, of the first times that I ever connected that um, real life events could be like. Like, oh, wow, I, I actually have some spirits I need to pay attention to, and, and it's my fault, was in the first class by Chiron Armand that I ever took. And he talked about when he was younger, going to some camp, and he got this bee that, like, went inside his tent and wouldn't stop fucking with him. And it was only once he made offerings to the land that the bee stopped fucking with him. And the whole time he was there, like there was this fucking bee. And it was like on the like last day or something, he figured it out and everything was fine. Mm -hmm. But it it just <clears throat> that clicked for me because the way that he told it was like you could hear the young person telling the story. And there was no doubt, like, like you could tap into it and feel like you were there. And it was like this, ah, oh, okay, yes, it does all make sense. Because in listening to it, I was also tapping into like myself at a younger, younger age and times that I'd had experiences like that, where I'm like, my logic tells me that this is a problem that I have to correct. But the logic that I've been taught tells me that that's ridiculous. Mm. Right. Um, <clears throat> but when Chirana left the offering, the bee stopped fuckering, fucking with him. And I've had the same experience more times than I can count where it's been like a, what's this thing happening? Oh, this thing's annoying. It's getting in the way of my work. Oh, wait, it, it's part of my work. Like, yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, I hate to do this, but I'm actually just realizing I'm going to go pick up my kid. Are you okay if I take this on the road or you want me to oh, come back? Totally fine. We're cool. Could, We're cool. Yeah, back, back, cool. Whatever works for you. Yeah. Uh, I, I was asked to meet the bus. Okay. Whatever you want to do. This is a no pressure podcasting experience. Well, can we do one more session on this then? Yeah, yeah. Do you yeah. want to do a follow-up and then post it like as a full episode? 
that would totally work for me or uh or or a two-parter or a two-parter however you guys want to pursue it i'm just looking at my i'm freaking out because i went to my office i'm supposed to pick up my kids from the bus <laughs> right on no i i love the idea of doing a two-parter because i think if we let a few days go by and then we like come back we'd have some cool stuff to say that would be awesome <laughs> that would well be this fun. has been great go get your kid and i'm we're, we're both really looking forward to next time yeah, and Thank then the, ne the next episode we'll talk about how raves are secretly evil because all the magic is is black light fluorescent. So, <laughs> perfect. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> all right, take care, Matt. We'll talk to you soon. Um, maybe this weekend or Monday or something. It's gonna rain all weekend. I'll be here. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right. Bye. Bye.